This is not going to be a pleasant experience. You are going to see and hear things that are not going to be very nice. Experts divide serial killing into two general types: organized and disorganized. An organized killer brings everything he needs to complete the murder. A disorganized killer improvises. Begin. Listener discretion is advised. In October 1992, Corey Lee Wenicke lived in West Liberty, Iowa. The small town is in the southeastern part of the state. In 1992, close to 3,000 people lived in West Liberty. It was a quiet town where people didn't lock their doors. Corey was born on March 25, 1970 and grew up in West Liberty. He was Susie and Jim Wenicke's only son. In high school, he played football. While in high school, he started dating a cheerleader named Jody Hotz. He graduated in 1988 and started working at his family's bar, Wings Tap, which had been a staple of the town since it opened in 1972. In 1992, 22-year-old Corey was still working at the bar. Corey's family was well-known in the town. Corey was described as outgoing and well-liked. He was happy-go-lucky and usually had a new joke to tell his customers. No one thought he had any enemies. Corey was still with his high school sweetheart, Jody Hotz. They were engaged and living together in a rural farmhouse. On the night of October 12, 1992, Corey worked at the bar. The next morning, when Jody left for work at around 8.15am, Corey was sleeping in the bed. Jody was a teller at a bank in nearby Iowa City. Jody returned home around 6 p.m. and found some odd things. The dog was loose outside and the screen door was open. Also, Corey was supposed to be at work, but his car was parked in the driveway. She walked into the bedroom, which was splattered with blood. Face down on the floor was 22-year-old Corey Winnicky. She called 911. An autopsy revealed that Corey had died from blunt force trauma. The murder weapon wasn't at the crime scene, but the medical examiner said it was a cylindrical object, possibly a baseball bat or a pipe. He had been struck 13 times. A blow to the back of the head broke his skull, and this was the strike that killed him. Corey was a large young man who had played football, yet it didn't appear that he put up any fight. The police surmised that the killer attacked Corey while he was sleeping in bed. As they beat him, he fell to the floor where they continued to strike him. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. 
Classic Functional Medicine Back to Basics Health Tips and Special Updates from the Best Doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and Last but Not Least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real-life-on-the-go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. The police ruled out robbery as a motive for the murder. Nothing had been stolen. Plus, if he had been sleeping when he was attacked, he wasn't killed because he interrupted a burglar. Also, the murder was brutal and rageful. The police immediately suspected that the murder was personal. The killer came specifically to the house to kill him. Since the murder was personal, they theorized that the killer was local. This made the citizens of the small town nervous because the killer could be a friend, a neighbor, or even a family member. Unfortunately, not much physical evidence was found inside the house. But that night, a TV reporter came to the crime scene. He explained that his vehicle broke down about a mile down the road, so he walked to the crime scene. On the side of the road, about an eighth of a mile from the crime scene, he saw an aluminum baseball bat. There was blood on the bat. There was also a price tag. It appeared that it had been purchased from a local box store. The police believed it had been tossed from a vehicle as the killer drove away. DNA testing wasn't prevalent then, but they did test the blood type. It was Corey's blood type. The police checked the bat for fingerprints, but found none. It turned out that the reporter was not the only person to see the bat. A farmer had been driving on the road that day. He was driving on it at 9.30 a.m. and didn't see the bat. But it was there when he drove back at 1.30. The police believe that means that Corey was killed sometime between 9.30 a.m. and 1.30 p.m. For Corey's funeral, the church was packed. People had to sit in the basement and listen on a monitor, and more people stood outside in the foyer. Unfortunately, no arrests were made in the wake of the murder. Within two weeks, the police had interviewed over 120 people. They ruled out motives like Corey being killed over drugs or a gambling debt. Corey's one weakness was for women. Although he was engaged to his high school sweetheart, he had been involved with several women, including some who were in relationships and married. He had even fathered a child with a woman named Wendy Marshall. The police thought that Corey might have been killed by a jealous boyfriend or husband, or even a scorned lover. This made the first suspect, Jody Hotz, the last person to see him alive. Jody apparently knew that Corey was unfaithful, but she stayed committed to him. Jody also had an alibi for the time of the murder. He was killed sometime after 9.30 a.m. and Jody was at work then, so Jody was cleared as a suspect. 
Days after the murder, she moved out of the state to be closer to her parents. It turned out that she was pregnant with Corey's baby. She gave birth to a daughter. Unfortunately, Corey's parents, Susie and Jim, aren't involved in the child's life. They told Dayline that things got strained when Jody married one of Corey's best friends. The second suspect was Wendy Marshall, who Corey had gone pregnant. She had left the bar with Corey that night. Wendy said that night after the bar, he had come to her house and they had sex. The police didn't think she was a likely suspect because she understood that what she had with Corey was just a fling. She did not think it would lead to anything more, so she wasn't jealous. Another suspect was Annette Hazen. Annette was a divorced mother of two. At the time, she was 29 years old, so she was about 7 years older than Corey. The police interviewed her, and she admitted that she was involved in a relationship with Corey. She also said that she and Corey had a future together. They were going to move to Branson, Missouri and run a bar. She said she had an alibi for the time of the murder. She was running errands with her sister-in-law in Iowa City. But she did say she was at Corey's house the morning of the murder at around 10.30 a.m. Her and her sister-in-law stopped there before going to Iowa City. She said she wanted to get a book that she had lent to Corey. She and her sister-in-law did not go inside. They knocked on the door and there was no answer, so they left. There were rumors that Annette was the police's strongest suspect. There were also rumors that she was the sheriff's niece and she'd be arrested after the election for sheriff. The sheriff told the local newspaper that Annette was a relative but wasn't his niece. He also said that she was no longer a suspect. They had talked to her sister-in-law and verified that she went shopping that day and she did not act unusual that day. Plus, they gave her a polygraph exam and she passed. Annette wanted the case to be solved and often contacted the police with tips like men who were angry and possibly wanted to hurt Corey. But eventually, the case went cold. Corey's parents, Susie and Jim, told Dateline that they gave up hope that the case would ever be solved. For decades, suspicion hung over Corey's former fiance, Jody. Many people thought she left the town over guilt. Jim and Susie told Dateline they didn't think that was the case. Instead, they think it was grief that caused her to move away. 25 years passed, and then there was a break in the case. In 2017, a special agent with the Iowa Division of Criminal Investigation was at the University of Iowa Hospitals and Clinics Intensive Care Unit. He wanted to interview the victim of an attempted murder but the doctors were working on them. So he was hanging out at the nurse's station. The charge nurse that day was Jessica Becker. Jessica grew up and still lived in West Liberty, about 18 miles from the hospital. She and the special agent chatted and he mentioned that he was also a cold case investigator. Jessica then told the detective a strange story. In the autumn of 1992, she was nine years old. At the time, Annette Hazen was living at her brother Denny's farmhouse. 
Jessica was friends with Denny's daughters, and they would have sleepovers at their house. One night, shortly after the murder, just before Halloween, Jessica was sleeping over at the home. That night, Jessica and one of Denny's daughters snuck out of the bedroom and went downstairs. They saw Nat, who was by herself. She was crying and lighting black candles. As she sobbed, she said she was sorry, Corey, and that she loved him. She cried that she never wanted to hurt him, and she was sorry that she had killed him. After hearing this from Jessica, the police decided to reopen the investigation. Jessica told the police that she had told her mother about the incident. The police talked to her mother, and she confirmed that Jessica told her that she saw Annette lighting candles and saying sorry to Corey. She didn't go to the police because she was afraid. She thought that Annette was the sheriff's niece and he might try to protect her. She was also afraid of her ex-husband, who had an affair with Annette. Her ex-husband had threatened her in the past. She was worried that out of loyalty to Annette, he might hurt her, Jessica, or her son. She also thought that if Annette really did kill Corey, the police would figure it out themselves. The police also talked to Annette's niece, who was with Jessica, when Annette supposedly confessed to the murder. She claimed that she did not remember that night. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least, Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. In early 2018, the police tracked down Annette Hazen, who was then living in Tipton, Iowa, a town about 20 miles from West Liberty. She had remarried, and her last name was Cahill. She was the grandmother of four. Since 2009, she had worked as a proofreader and customer service assistant at the Police Law Institute, which provides online training courses for police departments in three states. Her daughter said that she was a typical grandmother who liked to bake and quilt. A detective went to interview her, and she was friendly and welcoming. He told her that he had news about the murder. She said she was happy that there was news. It was painful not knowing what happened after all these years. She thought she'd never find out who killed her former lover. He asked her to go to the police station to talk, and she agreed. At the police station, she said that she and Corey had a sexual relationship. They had sex several times a week in different places, like cars, the apartment above the bar, and even in the bar. 
she said that she was madly in love with him. She claimed that Corey had told her that he was done with his fiancée, Jody, and the town, and was ready to move away. She said that the week after he died, they were supposed to go to Branson, Missouri, to look at bars they could buy. But before the detective brought up the murder, Annette said she was busy and needed to go. The detective asked if she could meet tomorrow, and Annette said yes. But then, just before the meeting, she cancelled. Days later, the detective went back to her house and asked her about the night of the murder. Annette said she had been drinking at the bar that night and she was very intoxicated. She felt like she couldn't drive herself home. So she went to her car to wait for Corey, who was going to drive her home. When he came to the car, he was with another woman, Wendy Marshall, the woman he had impregnated. Corey told her that he would drop her off and then he was going to go home with Wendy. Annette admitted she was angry. She wanted to know if Corey was serious about them. Annette told him that she feels like nothing to him. Annette said that's when he told her he loved her for the first time. He then dropped Wendy off at her car, and Annette said that they went to her home. They had what she described as angry sex. She then passed out, and Corey left. The detective then confronted her and told her that they believed she killed Corey. She denied committing the murder and said she had only ever wanted to find the killer. She then told the detective to get out of her house. The police talked to Wendy and she said that night Annette was furious. The district attorney decided that based on Jessica's story and her mother verifying it, there was enough evidence to arrest Annette. In May 2018, Annette Cahill was arrested for the murder of Corey Winnicky. She was charged with first degree and second degree murder. In March 2019, 56-year-old Annette Cahill went to trial. There was no physical evidence that Annette was involved in the murder. Neither her DNA nor her fingerprints were found at the crime scene or on the baseball bat. No blood had been found on her clothes or her shoes. Red fibers had been found on the bat and the police couldn't connect the fibers to Annette. The star witness was Jessica Becker, who talked about the black light candle confession she heard 27 years earlier. Becker's mother also testified and she said that Jessica told her about the confession but didn't take her to the police because she was scared. The prosecution said that Annette was in love with Corey, but he had no intentions of leaving his fiancée to be with her. If he was going to leave his fiancée, it was to be with Wendy. The prosecution speculated that after Corey left, Annette drove by Wendy's home and saw his car there. Annette realized that she'd never be with Corey, so she decided to kill him. That morning, after Jody left for work, Annette went to his house and found him sleeping. She beat him to death with a baseball bat. The prosecution also thought that Annette's alibi was suspicious. She said she had been shopping with her sister-in-law in Iowa City. The prosecutor argued that Annette went shopping with her sister just to provide herself with an alibi. She had no other reason to go shopping with her. They also stopped by the house because if someone saw Annette there or some physical evidence placed her there, this visit would explain it. The trial lasted five days and then went to the jury. 
The jury deliberated for eight hours, and they could not reach a unanimous decision on the charges of first-degree and second-degree murder. They were 9-3 to acquit, so a mistrial was declared. The district attorney decided to try Annette again. Annette Cahill went to trial again four months later in September 2019. The trial lasted six days and was very similar to the first trial. But this time, there was a new witness, Scott Payne, who had been a friend of Annette's brother. After the first trial, Scott's mother bumped into Corey's mother, Susie, at a funeral. She told Susie that she was surprised that no one had wanted to talk to her son because he possibly knew something about the murder. Investigators talked to him and then he testified at the trial. He said that on the day of the murder, he had been at Annette's brother's house where Annette was living. He was drinking and doing drugs. He saw her pull a paper bag out of the trunk of her car and in the bag were some clothes that looked like they were stained with red paint. But he had formerly worked at a slaughterhouse and he knew it was blood. The defense pointed out that Scott Payne was interviewed during the initial investigation but didn't mention anything about the bloody clothes. Scott said it was because he was into drugs and alcohol at the time and didn't want to get involved in a police investigation. The defense also argued if Scott had been doing drugs and alcohol, was his memory reliable? The defense also pointed out that there was another big problem with the case. Clutch and Corey's hands were four strands of hair. The defense argued that the hairs could be tested for DNA but weren't because it wouldn't benefit the prosecutor's case because it would cast doubt on Annette's guilt. Annette's sister-in-law testified. When Annette was arrested, the police interviewed her and asked her if she had fibbed a little to protect Annette. She admitted it was possible. But when she testified, she claimed Annette was with her that morning and she never lied to the police. After delivering for two days, the jury foreman told the judge they were deadlocked. The judge asked each juror if they were given more time, could they come up with a unanimous decision, and they said yes. So they were sent home for the day. They reconvened in the morning. They spent 16 hours deliberating. They found Nick Cahill guilty of second-degree murder. On November 22, 2019, Annette was given the maximum sentence for second-degree murder in Iowa, 50 years in prison. Annette's lawyer appealed the conviction. In March 2022, the Iowa Supreme Court upheld the conviction. In October 2023, Annette's lawyers petitioned for post-conviction relief. They were looking to get her sentence overturned because they said she did not receive a fair trial. The petition claims that the prosecution withheld evidence that cast doubt on the credibility of law enforcement witnesses. It also alleges that the jury members did independent research during the trial. They also said that other evidence from witnesses was suppressed. They also claimed that the judge gave the jury improper instructions. Finally, it says that Nett did not receive effective counsel. The petition is asking for DNA testing to be done on the evidence. Her lawyers believe that this will reveal the identity of the killer. The petition will be heard in April 2024. At the time of this recording, 61-year-old Annette Cahill 
is serving her sentence at the Iowa Correctional Institution for Women in Mitchellville, Iowa. If her conviction isn't overturned, she could be released in 2042 when she'll be 79 years old. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you. We have a great show today, but first, take a second to make sure you've subscribed to our show wherever you're listening to podcasts. It's the best way to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. Thanks. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.